Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is great to see you all. You ready to dig in a little bit again together? Yeah. Let me see if I can get situated here. Just before we get started, I have to tell you, my, uh, I came here with four of my grandchildren and uh, the Annie's 10, 10 and under. So we had a very exciting time. But one of the things that was exciting was uh, my 10-year-old, my, my, he's pretty perceptive, and he says, hey, Grandpa, he said, uh, man, this must have cost a lot of money. <laughs> I said, no, I think you're right. He goes, but I mean the work. He said, do you see all these people and all this stuff and there's snow and this is unbelievable, yeah. And then later he said, uh, so, I mean, this is great. This was so fun, but why do you think they do this? I said, well, do you remember the, the lady when we were in the line, you know, to go down the slide, you know, the snow? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean the lady with the really long dark hair? Yeah. And remember how we had that conversation and she was from Nashville and these people invited her to go to church in Nashville and she named the church and I happened to know the pastor and we had a conversation and talked about her son and then talked about her husband and where, why she wanted to come back to the church. Yeah, grandpa. I said, that's why. And so I just, before we even start, those of you that served, those of you that tore down, those of you that have prayed, those of you who gave, uh, I just have to tell you, this is not, this is just from a grandfather and a father who really cares about his kids and loves his community. Um, way to go. The effort was Herculean and the uh, impact only God will know. So thank you all so much. Amen. If you'll pull out your notes, I want to jump in. We're going to look at the, the Fear Not series, and we're going to look at Joseph. And on the very top of your notes, the Christmas message is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, that may ring a bell for some of you. Uh, Bill Bright wrote a little thing called The Four Spiritual Laws in 1952. He was a salesperson, a uh, businessman, came to know Christ, and he found out that people had struggles sharing their faith. And the first law of the four spiritual laws was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now I have to tell you, the very first time I heard that, my sister came to know Christ first and I adored her. I just, to this day, someday, some way, I pray that God would allow me to become a, a Christian like my sister Punky, she is amazing. And um, so she invited me to something that high schoolers, I was a junior, she was a senior, we went to this house, it was very new to me, they played the guitar, they sang a few songs, and uh, it was a pretty nice house, and the guy had a little shop in the back where his company was, and I was brand new, and at the very end, he said, uh, your name is Chip, right? You're really punky, right? Come back here, I just wanna share something with you. So we go back, and I'm kinda walking around like this is a little bit weird, and there were some sort of a shop where they manufactured something, and we sat down, and he gave me these four spiritual laws, and he said, why don't you follow along? I had one, and he had one, and he read it, law one, law two, law three, law four, you know, sin has separated you from God. Christ has paid the penalty. You need to receive Christ by faith. Do you see this prayer? He said, yes, please repeat after me. And he would read a little and told me to read a little bit. And then uh, he bowed his head and said, congratulations. <laughs> I said, for what? You're a Christian now. And, and, and don't get me wrong. This is not a, I'm not trying to, 
poke at the four spiritual laws. You know, it may have a, a couple things that could be improved. I think some theologians have said, but it's been greatly used by God. But it was such a, read this, say that, pray a little prayer, everything's great, now you're a Christian. God has this wonderful plan for your life. Now the fact is God does have a wonderful plan, but how we translate and interpret what a wonderful plan is versus what the scripture means, in fact, what a dictionary means a wonderful plan is, is like night and day. In fact, notice in your notes, you talk about a wonderful plan, exhibit A, Zachariah and Elizabeth, elderly barren couple receive miracle baby who becomes first prophet in 400 years, John the Baptist. Man, it's wonderful. Exhibit B, Mary, humble peasant girl from wrong side of town. These, these sound like uh, news stories, don't they? <laughs> becomes the earthly mother of Jesus by miraculous virgin birth. That's wonderful, amazing, supernatural. Joseph, blue collar worker, Mary's unwed mother and becomes the earthly father of the savior of the world, Jesus. Wonderful, miraculous. In fact, what I did is I wrote down, notice in your notes, I wanted to write exactly what is the definition of wonderful because I think it's really different than what we think. Wonderful means something that is marvelous, miraculous, inspiring delight, an object of astonishment. The, the root word is full of awe or wonder, something extremely good. In Hebrew, the word pala, it's a phenomena outside of the realm of human explanation. It's that which separates from the normal course of events. In, uh, let me give you a, a biblical example. Psalm 139, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Lord, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have encircled me behind and in front and you place your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Astonishing, miraculous, supernatural, awe. It's too high. I can't comprehend it. Unfortunately, I think over time, with the best of intentions, with people that are very sincere, we have over a period of many, many decades told lots of people, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And what we kind of mean, because we, we want to sort of make the gospel more appealing, it's, 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 it gets interpreted to, it's going to be great, you're going to be fulfilled, there's not going to be problems. You know, if you have a bad marriage, it's going to get better. Uh, you're going to be happy. You're going to be fulfilled. Life is going to be great. He's got this amazing plan, this wonderful path. Just put your faith in Jesus and everything's going to be better. Sometimes the best of intentions can really backfire and it raises the question. And this is the time where you turn the page. And the question is, if indeed God has this wonderful plan, and he does, and his plan is miraculous and supernatural, astonishing, it, it, we, when we see it and experience it, it fills us with awe. 
It's beyond any human explanation. Why are so many people disappointed and disillusioned with God's wonderful plan? I cannot tell you, I, I literally remember in this building a number of years ago, uh, a young man from another city had come and uh, had begun to visit the church. He, he made a profession of faith in Christ. He had a couple big issues in his life. Uh, he would come up after every service. I'd give him a passage. He would go read it. He asked ask some big questions. I'd give him a book to read and he would read it. I mean, this kid was kid. He was mid twenties, maybe late twenties. And I mean, he wanted to learn. He wanted to grow. He wanted to know about three or four months. And then I hadn't seen him for a while. And then I'll never forget. He came right around and, you know, I usually stood down here for a while and he said, Hey, I just wanted to tell you. Uh, man, I just have to tell you this whole thing with Jesus and, uh, you know, the time you've spent with me and it's been really, ready, Vince, wonderful and really great, um, but I, I won't be back and I've, you know, I kind of tried Jesus and I'm done. I said, what do you mean? No, I'm done. I said, what do you mean you're done? He goes, well, uh, you know, one of the big reasons for Jesus was I had a couple issues at work and a real big issue with my girlfriend and, you know, I gave it three or four months and I still have issues at work and I still have an issue with my girlfriend. So I guess I'll try something else. Do, do, do you get it? Do you understand his expectations? Do you understand that when you have a false expectation, when you have an illusion about what God promised or what it means to believe or what it means to trust Jesus, illusions give birth to disillusionment. And so how do we understand Better, how do you experience this wonderful supernatural life? And I'm going to suggest that the answer is the life and a study of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And the answer is um, tough on the front end, but absolutely wonderful when you understand it. Joseph will help us understand the high cost of receiving God's wonderful life. Uh, the context, you know, often, you know, we jump right into a passage, but the, the context is genealogies. And if you would open Matthew, you would see that the genealogy, he starts with Abraham and, and the book of Matthew is written to uh, the, a Jewish audience. Mark is written to a Roman audience, Luke to a Greek audience, and John comes around later to what's happened after the church has grown for 30, 40 years or so. And so he's writing to a group of Jews that like him had a view and an expectation, right? Messiah is going to come. He's going to take down Rome. We're going to sit on thrones. We're better than anyone else. Life's going to be great. And these dirty Romans and all these Gentiles, we're going to get rid of. That was sort of an unconscious or very conscious view. And so uh, Matthew starts with this uh, genealogy. And instead of going all the way back to Adam, like Luke does, because he wants people of all backgrounds to understand where mankind came from in the Messiah, he starts with Abraham. And if you're a good Jew, you know that the big promise to Abraham was that every nation, all peoples on the face of the earth would be blessed. If you look at Luke's genealogy, uh, there's not a woman in it. Matthew, on purpose, has four different women built into the genealogy and the history of the coming of the Messiah. Three of them are Gentiles. One's a prostitute. One is someone who sleeps with her father-in-law because she got unjust behavior. I mean, he's like throwing it in their face, this expectation of the Jews and we're the better people and this is the Messiah and this is how it works. He starts with his genealogy and basically says, 
You know, God's plan looks a little bit different. And you think only special people and these women and these Gentiles, they matter to God. And he begins to shift their view of what's your expectations of the Messiah. In our case, what's your expectations of God saying to you, I love you, and he does, and I'm for you, and I understand what's going on. And I'm the creator of all that there's been in all the universe. And I see all the things happening in the world and all the things that are happening in your world. And I'm loving and kind and just and sovereign. What's your expectation? Notice as we pick up the story, the situation for uh, Joseph, his wonderful life doesn't start out. It's not so wonderful. This is how the birth of Jesus, I'm in. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. The Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to get this. When Joseph hears that Mary's pregnant, she's 100 miles north with her aunt Elizabeth. And she's found one person who's had a miracle herself, and is comforting her and Mary has gone through all the emotional journey of will my husband that I'm betrothed to Joseph reject me will my shame ever leave me I don't know how it's all going to work out I trusted what this angel said I have no idea how it happens but I'm now pregnant and then somehow through the community Joseph hears you know that woman you're betrothed to and by the way, if you weren't here last week, a betrothal was a legal contract. The only way to get out of it was a divorce. Now you wouldn't live together and you wouldn't consummate the marriage sexually, but you were legally married for this anywhere from a few months to a full year. And so Joseph is in love with this wonderful girl named Mary, probably 15, maybe 16. And he hears in the vernacular, you know that girl that you thought was so wonderful? She slept with someone else, she's pregnant. And so Joseph's response is very interesting. He has a painful dilemma because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. And you might just write above that because literally it says he was just, he was a righteous man. Because Joseph was a righteous man or faithful to the law, yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You could get a bill of divorce, and if it was public, then the, I mean, everyone would know, it wasn't you, it was her fault, she betrayed you, she did this to you, you have every right. In fact, if you look in your notes in Deuteronomy there, what's the law say happens if you sleep with some prior to marriage? Stoning. And so his, his dilemma is this. On the one hand, what, what we learn a little bit later is that he's angry, he's hurt, he's been betrayed, but the severe consequences of the law of Deuteronomy 22, 23, she should be stoned. And yet the spirit of justice, Isaiah 42, the first five verses, we won't go there today, but part of why I give you notes is I want you to dig in on your own. And as you read those first four or five verses in Isaiah 42, it's the picture of the Messiah and his tenderness and his compassion. And it says he won't bend a reed. He won't even, the wick of a, 
of a, of a candle. He says he won't even snuff out. There's a picture of that he will bring justice to the whole world, but he'll do it with such tenderness and compassion and understanding. And so Joseph has this emotional barrier and here's the emotional barrier. In fact, in the very next line, it says, after he considered these things on the next page, the angel appears to him. Uh, you might circle that word considered. Uh, over time, translators sometimes, they try to sort of sanctify the Bible from real life and real emotions. And there's two meanings of this word considered. One is to consider. The other, other is to, to be angry. And of course he considered, but he was angry. Uh, this same word, it's used, remember when Jesus in, in Matthew four says he is the Messiah and they take him out and they're gonna throw him off a cliff. Translated there, it says they were in a rage because he claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, this word is used uh, yet another time and it's translated to be very angry. See, what I want you to understand is Joseph was as human as you and me and he had expectations. I love God. I'm walking faithfully with God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm committed to this young woman. And, and God, how could you, how could this happen? And how could she betray me? And so he's, he's angry and he's struggling. I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing in this room alone, there's a number of us, either with a girlfriend or with a mate that you've been betrayed. How'd you feel? Did you have some little spiritual moment that, oh, it's okay. It's, it's okay, I forgive him. That's not what the text is. This is a guy that loves God with all of his heart. He's doing it right, he's following God and his whole world's falling apart. And now he's gotta figure out what am I gonna do? Because yes, in my anger, I can have her exposed and I can come out the good guy and she can come out to the whore that she is or knowing that she could be stoned, I love her. He's got a dilemma. And it's interesting that after his broken heart, he comes to what I just call a righteous compromise. He recognizes that yes, I'm deeply hurt and this shatters my expectations and I never could dream that Mary could do this, but I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be tender and gracious as much as I can, even with my broken heart and my pain. And by the way, there's a couple lessons here about when you get betrayed or when you get hurt, sometimes it's best to consult God before you react, before you speak. Because notice the angel's intervention says what? Fear not. And notice the connection here. But after he had, here's our word, considered this, after he's had his anger, after he's let it die down, after he's evaluated all the consequences for Mary and he decides that, you know what? Private divorce, the law only requires two people. I'll do it very privately. Maybe she'll relocate to another town. Uh, we got some zealous Jews. There's always some zealous people in every religious group. They'll want a stoner. But after he considered this intervention, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now, now, now pause. Do not be afraid. Are you ready? 
despite the cost and the consequences. Again, we romanticize this story. This is a guy that we only have one description. He's called righteous or just. He's faithful to the law. In, in our words, he's kind of squeaky clean. If God says it, he just does it. He's pure. So think of the consequences. So you're telling us, right, Joseph, right. This girl that you're you know, engaged to, Holy Spirit got her pregnant, and you're still gonna marry her? Well, first of all, we don't believe that line. And second, you sure you guys didn't have some little time together beforehand and you're making up this story? Shame, disgraced his family. You don't think that impacted, and he's a carpenter. If you've better, ever been in the trades, you need work. What happens when people think your reputation's down? You need to understand the consequences, his expectation at walking with God and the consequences in his life. It's like, wow, God, thank you. Any of you feel that way sometimes? Well, wow, I'm doing this God's way. I'm doing this relationship God's way. I'm doing work God's way. I'm doing my money God's way. I'm trying to raise my kids God's way. I'm trying to follow you. And this is what I get. Well, your body language tells me that you're all much more holy than me because I'm just telling you, I felt that a lot of times. And I've had private moments where I've been so angry at God. This is what you called me to do. I felt like I swam upstream. I did what you wanted me to do. And this is what I get. Last night, um, Teresa and I, I, I'm not trying to make a big deal, but 45 years is a pretty good swath of time to be married. And so last night we celebrated 45 years. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, thanks to a, a friend and, and a little extra, we, we went to this really, actually it was such a nice restaurant. I, I had no idea most of the stuff they were serving. You know, when they say there's an urchin something with some sort of sauce, it's like, you know, whatever, you know. I just knew it was pretty slimy um, and, and very expensive. But you know, there's something good about, you know, I'm not old, I'm getting older. Old is what happens when people stop living and keep looking in the rearview mirror instead of forward and, and think that somehow that they deserve a break today rather than, you know what, impact, purpose, never retire from. But there is a, an advantage of getting older. We, we were reflecting back to pain points in our marriage, pain points with our children, uh, betrayal in ministry, difficulties that we've had. And now we're, we're like older enough after 45 years, there's not hardly a thing I can look back on now that God hasn't used for good and richness and depth and intimacy and joy and blessing. Now at the time, expectation, disappointment, pain, anger, right? But see, we have a very short view of how God works. And we have this idea that wonderful means fulfilling, great, painless, no hardship, no challenges. And what we find here is that Joseph embraces the consequences and the angel says, don't be afraid, not because it's not gonna be hard. Don't be afraid because look at the reason. Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home. Notice 
not just marry her, I want you to go get her because she's in danger and you think you got emotional issues, she's got real big ones. I want you to go and I want you to find her and I want you to get her and I want you to get the marriage done officially and I want you to bring her home. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. And here's your assignment. You are to give him the name Jesus. And he knows that it's from the Hebrew word Joshua or God saves because he will save his people from their sin. So he understands my life isn't turning out at all the way I thought and I've done it God's way and the consequences and the price and the difficulty are off the charts and I have now been chosen and ushered into being a part of God's plan to forgive the sins of all people. That's what you call wonderful. But I want you to get all through this, wonderful comes with a pretty high price. But that's part of the reality of walking with Jesus in a fallen world. All this took place, why? To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, which raises the question, how did Joseph respond? And I wanna encourage you because this is the response God wants from us. This is the pathway to the real wonderful life. A life where how you live doesn't make sense to other people, where how you respond to difficulty and challenge and pain, where what happens in your life and through your life, it literally, over time, people go, ah. Oh. I had a, uh, gosh, I am getting older, these, these words I'm giving you. Uh, last September, they had a, I'd never been to a high school reunion, but I thought every 50 years you had to go. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I went. And you know, there's people, I know some people have great high school friends and you've stayed together and you know, I knew some people, but I moved away and literally 50 years I hadn't seen most of those people. And we begin to compare notes about what had happened in our life. And uh, they asked me, some, some had become Christians and some you know, had read a, a few books that I wrote or, or this or that. And so they got everyone together and they said, all, all the people, we're gonna tell the whole class but especially those of us that are believers, we're gonna have this party and we've got a, a couple hours. <laughs> I said, what? Would you, we just, we knew you, Chip. We can't believe what's happened. We, we, we would kind of like to hear, how could that skinny, arrogant point guard shortstop from Gehanna Lake in high school, I mean, this person that we're reading about and the guy that we knew, this is so different. You were the most arrogant, foul-mouthed, insecure twerp. <laughs> we, we'd like to hear, what happened? How, how does God do that? And so I, I told him a story and I, I said, this isn't a story like the movies where, you know, local boy makes good. This is a story of broken, insecure, desperate person meets Jesus. Jesus has high calling. Challenges are over the top. Marriage is very hard. Adopts two boys. And like Joseph, I get to raise two kids that are not biological sons. And I get to adopt them. 
And then I get to bump my head out of my arrogance in all kind of different ministry situations and move across the country and then move back across the country, then move back across the country and go through times where I remember waking up in the middle of the night in one city and my wife was just sobbing with the pillow over her head. I hate it here. Why did you bring me here? Well, Jesus made it really clear this is what we're supposed to do. Joseph's response was immediate, radical, and costly. When Joseph woke up, notice he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. So what did he do? He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Second obedience, and he gave him the name Jesus. And, and what I did underneath this is I did, I put a little Bible study together, okay? And, and the reason, you know, I've got, you know, that little in your notes there, I want you to see from the New Testament, when you're called to put your faith in Christ and receive completely by the grace of God and nothing out of your own merit, the forgiveness of your sins, as you turn from your sin and the empty hands of faith, it's called changing your mind or repenting, turning away, recognizing that your life isn't what God wants it to be. It's a little part of the four spiritual laws that need to get a little strengthened. And in the empty hands of faith, I'm at rock bottom. I desperately need you to forgive me and I can't do it. You died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead and I'm coming and I'm asking you on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone in my place, would you forgive me and come into my life? It's called being born from above or born spiritually or you've heard maybe born again. And in that moment, the scripture says that God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and its rule and places you in the kingdom of light of his beloved son. And then the spirit of the living God enters into your mortal body and it seals you and he deposits spiritual gifts. And then he has a plan and you're his workmanship. And then in this life, he has this amazing life for you that's very challenging in a fallen world and very difficult. And every single person, believe it or not, will have suffering, difficulty, disappointment, betrayal, and injustice. You can either have it as a child of God where God uses it for your good, or you can have it because God says do relationships this way, and you say, no, I think I'll do it this way. And you find yourself in your second or your third marriage. Or God says, here's how I want you to treat your money. I want you to not, don't let it be a God. I want you to set some aside and save. Don't go into major debt and be generous with other people. And you say, no, I think I'm going to leverage it and I'm going to get more and more and more. And you can, you know, pain's coming. Tribulation is a part of life. You just get to decide. Do you want pain because you're obeying God and will experience this wonderful life over time within and without? Or do you just want the pain that comes from being a disobedient, self-centered, insecure person like I was the good portion of my life? And so the, the little, I guess I'd call it Bible study, I wanted to give you from Jesus and the Apostle Paul just a quick overview of the price, the path, the process, and the product of immediate radical, costly obedience, because that is what God asked us to do. And I think we've lived especially in America and especially in countries where there's not persecution, where we have retranslated the wonderful life to mean 
just pray to receive Jesus. I went to camp. I raised my hand. I asked Jesus to come into my life, whatever that means. And then we go about living our own life in our own way, by our own values. There seems to be no desire for his word, no desire to serve, no desire to care for others. And we can be fooled into thinking we have this sort of vague insurance policy somewhere sometime that I am really concerned about a lot of people across the world and especially in America who are absolutely convinced I must be okay because I prayed that little prayer. That little prayer wasn't born out of a deep sense of sorrow. If it wasn't by faith, if the faith doesn't produce some outward demonstration that only God knows how much, I'm not trying to be the theologian. And so here's what Jesus said to his disciples, John 16, 33, he was leaving. Here's his expectation for them. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I gave you the passage later, but Peter would say during Nero's time, First Peter 4, why are you surprised at the fiery trial that you're undergoing as though something strange is happening to you? This is what it means. Jesus went to the cross, we go to the cross, you follow him, it's gonna be tough. That's the price. The path, Jesus says in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears forth much fruit. Entrance into relationship with the eternal, absolutely holy God is purely by grace through faith. And the following of him is this. If any man will come after me, if any woman will come after me, Luke 9, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For what does it profit a man or a woman if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? It's the path, the path is the cross. The path is self-denial. The path is kingdom values, give and you receive. Forgive and you have peace. It's that great prayer of St. Francis where he says, oh, divine master, where there's sorrow, let me sow joy. Where there's hurt, forgiveness. He just takes all of it for in giving we receive. He'll say at the end in dying to ourselves and our agenda is the kind of life, the eternal life. And, and then the process we have throughout scripture, Romans 5, you know, the great passage there in verse one, therefore you've been justified by faith. We have peace with God, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, here's the passage. It's in a different translation than I have it in my head. So if I say one thing and you read another, we might get confused. Therefore, since we've been justified with, by faith, we have currently now peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. He's talking about, we're all gonna be with him one day, but not so only, but also we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. James would say to all of us, consider it all joy, not if, but when you encounter external trials and things happen to your life that are unfair and difficult and painful, knowing that the testing of your faith 
as you endure, will produce this wonderful, astonishing, supernatural life. And then I love the last part, the product. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship. You're his poem. You're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto a good work, a purpose that no one has quite like you. And then he just celebrates in Ephesians 3. And he says, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that you could ask or think. That's God's plan. But you know, what I've seen is disillusioned Christians who, this marriage isn't perfect. Or why is this so hard? Or all my kids didn't turn out right. Or, you know, I gave generously, now I'm bankrupt. Somehow that we, we, we develop this, this mindset that a wonderful life is if I obey God, everything will be wonderful and easy. The fact of the matter is that's not true. Jesus said, I came so they might have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed. By the way, circle the word eternal because I think we unconsciously think of just length. It's quality. Eternal life doesn't happen after you die. Eternal life happens the moment you receive Christ. When we turn from our sin and receive him, the spirit of God gives birth and manifest the presence and the power of Jesus within you. Eternal life is the life of Christ living in you. The apostle Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we, uh, Go to the next page. I, I just want to tell you, because your, your faces look a little non-Christmas glum, all right? I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like, you know, I was kind of digging that romantic story with the violins and Mary, and she looks so beautiful, and Joseph, and, you know, they're on the little donkey, and, and you know, the music is coming, and in the background, it's fall on your knees, la la, you know, you know, there's Reese, and there's beauty, and there's lights, and I thought that's what Christmas is all about, and you're just killing me, Ingram. <clears throat> well, if you sat across the table with couples that thought everything was going to be wonderful because they know Jesus, or parents whose kids are not even closely walking with God and making decisions that are breaking their heart. And injustice when someone, at least they said they were a Christian that ripped off another Christian and are disappointed and disillusioned and fairly angry at God. Let me tell you, a lot of it is because the wonderful life that you were sold is not the wonderful life of the Bible. Bible is a very realistic book by an all-powerful, all-knowing God and says, I love you. And love wants the very best for people. And in a fallen world where there's evil and people had the freedom to make decisions, his promise is, I'm going to take whatever comes your way that's evil, and if you'll cling to me and you'll do life my way in community and sourced in my word, I'm going to take the worst that they can come at you, and I'm going to use it for good. And by the way, the biggest command that's the hardest to keep over and over in all those, perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. There's a whole group of people ready to opt out of following Jesus. And so a book was written to them, it's called the book of Hebrews. 
And in verse 10, chapter 36, it says, for you have need of endurance so that once you've done the will of God, you might receive what was promised. It is a costly, challenging life to follow Jesus with all your heart. But Joseph, I don't think would have it any other way. I mean, those early days I got to uh, adopt my boys when they were six, um, they were about four when we got married. And I had more than a, uh, a few times in part of that journey where I just wondered, would there ever be that great connection of father and son? Boy, these, these, I'm glad Teresa, Teresa's not feeling so good. She couldn't be here, but maybe it's good because I start, these numbers make me feel older myself. But um, those two boys are in their late 40s. Was it hard? Yeah. Was it challenging? Yeah. Were there all kind of obstacles? Yeah. And then I look at their life and I look at my privilege to get to be, in, to be their dad, to watch them grow, to watch them marry well, to watch them become men of God, to watch them raise their kids, to watch God use their life in ways beyond what I could ever imagine. Is there a price? Absolutely, but I'm gonna tell you the reward is greater and greater and greater and greater. And here's the difference. It takes time and you persevere and you pay a price. And if you only think about now, you lose. But there is a now that's greater, but there's a forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus wanted us to understand. And so let's put this into practice. What was Matthew's not so subtle message by including the Gentile women and morally flawed people in the genealogy of the Messiah? See, what I find is there's a lot of people who feel like I, I don't measure up, God could never use me. I don't think God will do for me what everything you've talked about. I get that it's hard. My life's hard right now. Here's what I want you to know. That genealogy says, You, you, you probably can't get as low as some of the people in that genealogy that God chose not just to rescue, but be a part of his eternal, wonderful, awesome, astonishing, miraculous plan. Second thing is when and where have you been disappointed with God? I'd like you to think about that. This is when you might want a cup of tea or coffee or whatever you do when you put your feet up and get alone. And just ask, where have you been disappointed with God? And then how have your expectations of what wonderful looks like from God changed in light of Joseph's story? See, part, some of you just need, you need to take off those rose-colored glasses. I love God. I love Jesus. I thought it'd be better than this. And just throw those away and put on a new set of glasses that says, he said it would be hard. He said it'd be difficult. He said it'd be painful. But he said it'd be better and richer and deeper and more wonderful than I could ever imagine. Persevere. Walk with God. Trust him in everything, every relationship, every decision, future, business, life, parenting, singleness, sexuality. Third, what fears are, you, are holding you back from immediately, radically obeying what God wants you to do? What people think? Losing control? Money, we all got him, right?
How does God's wonderful provision, protection, power, and blessing on Joseph inspire you to follow his example? It was hard, but guess what? He got in a jam, so some magi showed up with some big coin. He didn't know what to do, so another angel shows up and go, guess what? You stick around here, it's not going to go well. Go to Egypt. He didn't know what to do with the next big decision. He goes, you know that guy? God powerfully killed that Herod. Literally. It's time to come back. Every step of the way. And God will do that for you. That's the message of Christmas. The message is, God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. It's just not the wonderful plan that's being sold. Hey, uh, I have a friend in Singapore that uh, sends me his thoughts. He's a, a mentor of a lot of leaders, and Edmund is a really godly guy. And this week of all times, he sent me um, a story of a young man in Zimbabwe in the 1980s who his tribe told him because of all that was happening in the country, give up your faith or you'll be killed. He would not renounce his faith, then he was shot on the spot. And it comes that he had a journal, and the night before, he had written a passionate manifesto about his relationship with God. He called it the Fellowship of the Unashamed. He wrote this the night before, knowing what was coming. I'm a part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, Popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the enemy's door. I will not ponder at the pull of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. God has a wonderful life. What one thing as you bow your head right now, it's baby steps. It's not some big moment. Some of you it may be. But for many, Lord, where have you spoken and I just need to obey? Some obeyed a baby step and they served and people will be in heaven because they served at the winter wonderland. Others took baby steps or big steps with their finances, and because of that, this campus will be changed, and this community will get loved. God so loves you. He just wants you to say, Lord, you show me whatever it is, knowing how good you are and your plan for me.
and I'll obey. And when you obey the baby steps, he gives you more light and more light and more light. And in a year and then five and then 10, he doesn't return. You'll look in the mirror and you'll think, I thought this only happened to other people. This is astonishing, miraculous, how you've changed me, God, and used me to change others. May it be so of all of us. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.